Welcome to the Cowboy Chronicles. I'm Scott Wright of the Oklahoman, joined by Nathan Ruiz. This is the Oklahoma State football and all sports podcast of newsok.com. Thank you for joining us. Lots of exciting stuff to talk about. It's been a while since we've been in here in the uh, in the podcast studio, Nathan. So uh, good to be back. And uh, we got the NFL draft coming up. We're going to get to that uh, in a little bit. We got the spring game coming up. Lots of uh, exciting news for the basketball team uh, going on right now, so we'll uh, we'll let you share your expertise there. Maybe touch on a little bit of baseball as well. I know you've been out and seen uh, and seen Josh Holiday and the boys uh, there, but uh, but let's jump right into the spring game. Um, this is uh, you know it's going to be an interesting game because we don't know you know it's a, it's a new quarterback whoever it's going to be. I mean it's it's obviously going to be Taylor Cornelius this week is is your number one guy, uh, but going forward. It's uh, it, we we you know the the competition is is hasn't started yet in in full. But um, looking at this week's spring game, um, who are you uh, who are you excited to to see on the field? You know, I think it, uh, you mentioned Taylor Cornelius in the quarterback competition. I'm excited to watch him actually lead the offense for a yep. little bit of time, just because we haven't been able to watch practice and been able to see that. Um, I think that. He obviously is going to leave the spring as the guy, but like you mentioned, Drew Brown is in here. Spencer Sanders is in here. He's been competing against one-third of the guys he's going to have to compete against. So once those guys get here in the summer, he definitely will enter, I think, with a bit of a leg up just when you look at having the experience in the spring, having the experience he's had for the past four years. But but it's, it's hard to gauge anything, but I'm in, interested to see what he's able to do, how he's working with those, whatever players we haven't gotten. I don't think we've gotten rosters yet, so there's still <laughs> some decisions to be made as far as who he will be throwing to. Um, speaking of which, Tyron Johnson's a player I'm really excited to see, just given what OSU lost at receiver. Three guys could go this weekend in the NFL draft, James Washington, Marcel Aitman, Chris Lacey. And Johnson has the opportunity to, to step up and replace him. A lot of hype around him entering last season. It's not that he disappointed, but just when you have that many guys in front of you, it's hard to, it's hard to stand out, really. But now this is opportunity. Obviously, he and Jalen McCleskey, Dylan Stoner all kind of provide some options. But I think you know that receiver core still has plenty of talent in it, and I think Johnson probably could end up being the star of that group. Uh, what, are you, what are you most excited to well, see? Well, before I move on, the, the interesting thing about Tyron Johnson, um, you know, because I got a lot of emails and tweets last year. Why aren't they playing Tyron Johnson more? What happened to Tyron? Johnson because there there'd been all this buildup from the great spring that he'd had before and the question I always came back with was who you want to take off the yeah. field you want you you going to take James Washington and Marcel Aitman off the field to get to get Tyron Johnson in I mean th- those are two guys who we're going to talk about are going to be drafted this weekend and probably pretty high um, you know you're going to take Dylan Stoner Jalen McCleskey off the field I mean they tried to get they tried to find a spot inside for Tyron he's more way more comfortable on the outside. Mm-hmm. Trying to make that transition to an inside receiver uh, for the first time in his life uh, didn't work. Trying it in the middle of the year, so um, yeah, I'm I'm with you. He's a, the guy that has a chance to take control of this uh, of this wide receiver core and 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 be their big play guy. Um, you know, I think Dylan Stoner is is right there too, uh, but uh, I think it's going to be fascinating to see him. Um, I'm I just want to watch these running backs. Um, you know, I know Justice Hill's not going to be out there uh, a ton. Well, you know, he'll do enough to put on uh, put on a show for him. They, they might as well just put the green jersey on him just yeah. just protect him. You know, that's that's the most important thing for uh, for him at this point. Um, but um, I love watching JD King run uh, because he's so physical. 
um, LD Brown, I think, has uh, has really improved and, and can do some things. I don't think we've really seen all of what he's capable of yet. Um, and obviously, everybody wants to see Chuba Hubbard. They want to see uh, the, the the Canadian Flash get out there and uh, and do what he can do. Um, is so, that like pending? Is that a actual? Uh, is I'm, that... I'm still working on it. Okay. That one just that one just hit me. There's probably something better. We can probably uh, we can piece it. I think that's a good starting point. Yeah, for sure. it is. That's a, that's a good place to start. We can uh, we can work on it. We'll uh, we'll spitball that idea and see what we can come up with. But uh, um, but yeah, everybody wants to see what this guy can do. He's bulked up since last year. Um, you know, obviously we know he has uh, incredible speed. Um, so uh, so I think that he's going to be a guy that, uh, that that me and and a lot of fans are are excited to see. Um, you know, we just shot a video with Jenny Carlson. She brought up Jelani Woods. Uh, that's another guy. Uh, him and uh, and honestly Jake Ross as well. The uh, the the new Cowboy back who came in from NEO. Um, I think they're going to be more of the the receiving target type. Cowboy backs um, than uh, than than what Britton Abbott and Sione Finifuyaki are. Um, so I'll, I'll be curious to see what uh, what their role is in uh, in this game and and sort of how they um, you know how they blend into this offense. I think that Woods has a real advantage because he spent a year in the quarterback yeah. room, and I think that I, I I don't think that that should be taken for granted. Um, you know, when you're learning the offense through Mike Yurcich and Mason Rudolph. As opposed to not, and this isn't a knock on the tight ends yeah. on on the cowboy back coach, but it, you just see things a whole lot differently when you're learning the entire offense and how the pieces all fit together, mm-hmm. rather than learning what your role is in the offense. So um, I think that uh, that he's got a real advantage there, and the dude's a beast. I stood next to him. He is he is physically just a monster of a man. Six seven. He says he weighs about two sixty now. Uh, I think listed at two fifty one. You know, he came in at two twenty uh, back uh, a little over a year. Ago, so um, yeah, yeah, I think it's a move that makes a lot of sense for him. Makes a lot of sense for the program. Um, just given his size, you you would think that he had played the position before. Quarterback was relatively new to him, so right. that move back, I think it'll benefit him in the long run. He's got time to to build into it. Gundy has said that it, it might not be something we necessarily see the the returns of this season, but but in the next couple of years, he's going to be a guy who's really I think going to be featured in their offense in a lot of ways. Yeah, and uh, it's going to be fun to see a, a dude that big that's uh, that's got some athletic ability. And uh, uh, man, if uh, if you're a cornerback and he or 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 a uh, you know a, a safety mm-hmm. that uh, that ends up with that guy coming at you, it could be uh, could be a little bit scary. Um, defense, yeah. defense, what fires you up over there? I think just the interest in the new scheme. Obviously, yep. there was Mike Gundy made this move for a reason, moving from Glenn Spencer to Jim Knowles, the defensive coordinator. And a big part of that, I think, was that four-two-five defensive scheme that, that Jim Knowles is going to put out there, get more defensive backs out there in the pass-heavy Big Twelve. Um, so Kenneth Edison Magruder, a guy who was part of that move, moving from linebacker to safety, um, probably more natural of a position for him. Probably something I think you know, something that he seemed to imply that he's really enjoyed to this yep. point, um, being able to move around a little bit out there. Especially, you know, to be able to add a veteran presence out there when you lose your two starters from last year in Trey Flowers and Ramon Richards. Uh, so I, I think he's a piece who's, who'll be really interesting to watch uh, on Saturday in the spring game. But just to see how it works as a whole, how uh, these guys are matching up, how that, that 5DB set is working uh, for OSU. This is a little bit more strategy than than just uh, just a player, but I'll be curious to see what the the cornerbacks look like in in how they're used mm-hmm. in this. You know, if you look at at some of the Duke film, 
there was a lot of man coverage, a lot of press coverage from the cornerbacks. Um, obviously, obviously Jim Knowles doesn't have his full defense, uh, you know, installed at this point. And but just to see what his what his base usage of the cornerbacks will mm-hmm. be, uh, because I think that they've got two really talented ones. They, uh, the, you know, Rodarius Williams and, and AJ Green showed a lot of growth. Uh, throughout last year, um, you know, you saw early in the year when they're uh, when they're in man coverage on a deep ball, they're just running with the guy, and uh, and whatever happens happens. As the year progressed, you saw them turning, looking for the ball, making plays like they did at at, at in the end zone at Iowa State mm-hmm. when they won that game. Uh, you know, Rodarius Williams has a has a, a big knockdown, and then AJ Green comes up with the interception that seals the game. So, um, you know, you saw a lot of growth from those two guys uh, over the course of the year. Um, and I think that uh, the, just seeing the base basic plan for how they're going to be used will be will be really intriguing. Uh, one thing we haven't uh, haven't talked about, I haven't even uh, had a chance to write about it yet. Tyrell Alexander, who's been a wide receiver, has actually moved over to cornerback now and is uh, is playing on that side of the ball. Um, so uh, you know, don't know how much he'll be uh, able to get involved, but they need some depth at cornerback right now, and uh, so he has a chance to uh, to help out over there. Um, anything else about the uh, the weekend in general? That uh, no, I, I mean, I think it'll be. Good. Good for fans as it always is, and I don't think it'll be as big of a, a of a hoopla as maybe the the OU deal was. Hopefully, right. the weather will be better than that than yeah. that weekend was. Um, it seems to be that it'll be that way. Um, but yeah, I think it's just a good opportunity for fans to get out there, interact with their favorite players, uh, talk to talk to those guys, get autographs, things like that. A great opportunity for for young kids who are OSU fans. So you know, I think spring games are, are always fun for fans just because they get opportunities they don't necessarily get during the regular season. So weather will be nice. Um, you get 20 to 25 minutes of, of good football, hopefully, <laughs> um, and I think it'll be a great opportunity for fans. Yeah, a lot of a uh, lot of fun fan-related events before the game, after the game, on the field and outside the stadium. So uh, a lot of stuff. Kickoff of the uh, the actual game itself at 1 p.m. Uh, free parking, free admission. Uh, go uh, go have yourself a blast and uh, and enjoy things in uh, at Boone Pickens Stadium. On Saturday. All right. Now we got the NFL draft starting on Thursday. We're taping this on uh, Wednesday. Um, so we're going to get to that in just a minute. But let's uh, let's check in with the uh, with the basketball team. Been uh, there not too long ago. There was a lot of dread yeah. because there were all these empty scholarships. They've uh, they've been making a little bit of progress. Plus working on a, working toward the future a little bit as well. Kind of bring us up to date on uh, on where things stand with Mike Boynton and the uh, Cowboys. Yeah, Mike B- Mike Boynton has gotten four commitments uh, since the end of the season. So he, you know he's putting in work. Trying to get a few more guys, but uh, for for next season, he's gotten uh, Contravius Jones, who's a six foot ten center, should be a nice force inside. Considering they lost in Kubasima, who decided to go pro, and Mitchell Solomon uh, graduated, so um, or uh, eligibility wise, he's out of eligibility. Right. So um, so that'll be a big piece inside. They got Mike Cunningham, a graduate transfer from USC Upstate, so kind of the same deal. Where as last year with Kendall Smith, you get a graduate transfer point guard, get immediate experience at that position. He's a guy who I think could play both guard positions, but as of right now, he's probably the guy at point guard. It depends on what happens with a four-star point guard, Courtney Ramey out of St. Louis. He's a guy who OSU is still very much in on, it seems like. Um, so it'll be interesting to see what happens there. Uh, but, you know, I talked to Mike Boynton a couple weeks ago before they landed Contravious Jones, before they landed Mike Cunningham, before they landed the uh, the Boone Twins out of uh, Tulsa Memorial. So those guys are 2019 guys, but obviously they're pieces who will help the program over the yep. course of time. Um, but he was saying, you know, we hope in this class to be able to get two more point guards. So they've got one of those in Cunningham and then hopefully to leave a scholarship open. So they still have three scholarships left um, after adding those two guys. So it's it'll be... Uh, you know, maybe a point guard, probably another forward or center type. 
And then, you know, if Boynton gets what he wants, he can leave one open. They've In the two years he's been on the program, one as an assistant and, and one last year as the head coach, they've been add, able to add a midseason guy both years. So I think he'd like to leave himself open to that opportunity in case someone opens up, even if it's not necessarily midseason. If it's August and someone is out there available, maybe it's someone they can add and, and have right away and, and add some experience to their team. So, you know, Mike Boynton's doing work. The, the Boone twins, Keelan and Caleb, are, you know, both really young kids. They're guys who wanted to play in the state of Oklahoma. That seemed to be really important to them. They, of course, haven't signed yet. There is They are they can't sign until November so there mm-hmm. is probably going to be some uh, some other programs that come calling they both seem to you know be playing on the Under Armour circuit and getting getting some interest from various teams so it'll be interesting to see if, if OSU is able to hold on to them but they seem to have a really strong connection with Mike Boynton um, after OSU's win at West Virginia he came back from that game was able to go to it Tulsa it was like stormy icy rainy whatever and he was still able to get out there watch them in Tulsa and that really meant a lot to them that's you know Caleb said and that's when you kind of realized, okay, this coach is my coach. And obviously, it took him a couple months to make the the formal commitment and and make that verbal pledge. But now, you know, OSU is is building these pieces, and we're starting to see. You know, that was really the big question with Mike Boynton: is what kind of recruiter is he going to be? And to this point, he, you know, as we've seen, just at a, at a fan and media level, he's genuine, he's personable, he's really able to connect with these young players, and and it's going to go a long way, I think. One interesting thing uh, about him, and this uh, this helped with with the Boone brothers, obviously, and I think it's going to pay off even more down the line. There's a really talented freshman class uh, in in Oklahoma, but c- recruiting this state yeah. seems to be very important to him. Um, you know, I helped out with the high school guys covering the uh, the state tournament, uh, you know, class two A through four A out at, at the state fairgrounds back in March, and I saw Boynton there twice. Um, and you know, when I go back, you know, I covered I covered high schools for eight years before this uh, this last football season, and I I can't think of a time when I just saw a coach show up out there from from either OU or OSU show up just to watch guys Mm -hmm. like it was Travis Ford was there to watch Stevie Clark when they were trying to recruit him Um, you know Lon Kruger showed up uh, at times whenever he had a guy who was playing in you know that was a guy who was a senior maybe even already signed but uh, you know Boynton was there watching guys who are freshmen guys who are are sophomores juniors and seniors uh, all ranges of guys because it's important to him to be involved in this. And, um, you know, he was front and center. You know, guys were know, knew that he was there, um, you know, even the guys that he's not allowed to talk to yet at this point. So, um, you know, this is a really important thing to him, and I think that it's going gonna, it's gonna to pay off uh, whenever these, these talented players start getting older and getting closer to, uh, to making their decisions. I think it's, gonna, it's really going to mean a lot. Yeah, you know, a, a point he made is when the, when he had those five open scholarships, he didn't want to just stock up on graduate transfers because maybe you get a decent team for a year, but then you have to do it again. Mm-hmm. He doesn't want to have a great team. He wants to have a great program, and I think that starts with building those relationships early on, having that that foundation of young players, guys who you see what Mitchell Solomon became this past season in his fourth year in the program. Obviously, only one of those was with Boynton as his head coach, but you see the value of senior leadership. You look at a, a Villanova. Villanova is a national championship team that that has NBA caliber players, but they weren't one-and-done style players. Mm-hmm. And obviously there have been NCAA teams that have success with one-and-done style players, but there's something in that experience that's really going to pay off, and I think Mike Boynton recognizes that. And so if he's able to get uh, you know, a steady stream of of guys who were grew up in OSU, who got there as freshmen, played four years, and then have a nice senior day. And we have a nice little class of that with you know a, a big sophomore class that's going to be juniors next season. You know, OSU next season is only going to return four scholarship players. 
they're all juniors. So, you know, they'll have some experience. Um, but it, it, it's it's a program that Mike Boynton wants to build. It's not a team. It's a program. He wants to have something that's consistently successful. We heard it relentlessly. You know, we will hang a banner in this building. He expects his program to compete for national championships at some point. Last year, they laid the foundation, and now he's trying to add the pillars. Um, one thing on uh, on Cunningham, obviously, Boynton has some, some connections in South Carolina. So I'm guessing he had probably done – uh, a good amount of research on uh, on this guy. I mean, mm-hmm. I'm just, I'm purely speculating here, just uh, you know, from so, the yeah. outside. But uh, um, I mean, obviously, with his connections, you've got to think that he uh, he has a pretty good idea of the type of player that he's getting, right? Yeah, you know, it seems like it's just another athletic guard. Um, two guys who we also added as transfers were Michael Weathers and Curtis Jones. So now that you've got some depth in that backcourt, Curtis Jones won't be eligible till the second semester. But still, between Weathers, Lindy Waters, Thomas Azagua, Cunningham, you've got some pieces there. Again, probably going to use at least one of those other three scholarships, open three scholarships to add another guard, yeah. hopefully a point guard style player. But uh, Boynton has said, you know, his his traditional definition of point guard, it's not necessarily w- what the, the kind of player he's going to get. He'd like to have someone who can facilitate a bit, but if he can have a, a Russell Westbrook type player, he's mm-hmm. going to have that. And Michael Weathers is capable of playing point guard, but he's more of a slash and score type of guy. So he, he feels that Curtis Jones and Michael Weathers are both guys capable of playing the point, but if you add a player like a Cunningham, a Courtney mm-hmm. Ramey, who is more of a traditional-ish point guard, mm-hmm. maybe there's some things you can do and make... You, those teams are more effective when those guys are off the ball. Lindy Waters capable of playing point guard, but you don't want Lindy Waters to be your point guard for 37 minutes a game. Yeah. So I think it's a situation where Mike Boynton is is trying to figure out how these pieces on his team can fit together, and I, I think he's able to do that. I think in Cunningham he's getting um, a veteran experienced point guard. We saw it last year how good Kendall Smith was for OSU, especially late in games, how beneficial that experience was. And so I think Cunningham will come in and, and hopefully provide a similar boost, whether it's as – uh, a backup point guard, depending on what other players they're able to land, but I think he's a guy who they expect. You know, I was thirteen point seven points per game last year. If he's, it'll probably drop. You would think going from where he was going to the Big Twelve, um, but you know, I think uh, it provides the opportunity for uh, for OSU to have more experience at the position, and it's an it's a position in the Big Twelve. We saw how important big uh, point guard play was last year, so it, it's a position that if OSU is able to have an effective player there, it could go a long way. All right, let's uh, let's move over to the baseball team. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'll be I'll be completely honest. When I looked at this team in say mid March, I, I I you know kind of following along and just looking at the roster, I didn't see this team having the type of pitching that was gonna that was gonna make them be able to do what they've done. Um, is have they have they? Do you feel like that's been the key, or is it you know the hitting coming on as well that's that's boosted this? What's what's been the key to them getting on track? You know, I think it's been the ability to win in multiple ways. I don't think it's one or the other. I I think it, it took a while for things to get settled. Josh Holiday has been able to really put out. Um, a consistent lineup recently. You know, same guys one through nine. There's been some shifts here or there, but for the most part, his his catcher catcher through right field. It's all been the same. Um, they have a weekend rotation set. That was something that was a little bit in flux, but it's mm-hmm. it's been Joe Linhard, Carson Teal, Jonathan Heasley. That's been set. Midweek games have been a bit of a struggle just because the pitching isn't necessarily there. Able to beat a really good DBU team last night in eleven innings, so they they'll take a four win four game winning streak into Bedlam this weekend. 
But I think it's just been a combination of things where you, you look at it in one game, it'll be Lynn Hard pitches really well, and then Teal pitches all right, but then the bullpen is really good. Um, and on Sunday games, what it's mostly been, Jonathan Heasley hasn't been very good this season. Just he, he said that much himself. The results aren't there. Um, ERA floating around seven right now. But, but OSU has won his last four starts. He had given up uh, at least five runs in, fo- in or at least four earned runs in five straight starts entering last Sunday, and they'd won those past three games. Gives up three runs in six innings. So, really good start based on what he's been doing. Really good results. He felt that he can build off that. But uh, then OSU rallies back, scores four runs in the seventh inning, and wins that game, sweeps Kansas. So, now OSU has won 11 of his past 12 conference games. You look, you mentioned mid March. OSU at one point after uh, their opening Big 12 series was 11, 10, and 1. And then since then, you know, they've just rattled off all these conference victories, won uh, four straight. Big 12 series swept three of those so now they enter OU with a lot of momentum get that first game at home uh, just because of some scheduling quirks with the Oklahoma City Dodgers so then uh, they're in a great position I think you know to if they can get some victories in this series still have to play Texas Tech which obviously will be a challenge but this OSU team has, has really been able to turn itself around, and I think it started with with the starting pitching getting in order, with that lineup getting in order. They had some health issues. Andrew Rosa was battling a foot injury, and he's been OSU's laid-off hitter since returning, and he's been just an on-base machine. Colin Simpson providing plenty of power. Christian Funk had seven RBIs in the opener against uh, Kansas. Uh, John Littell, Carson McCusker having bit, big hits down then. Trevor Boone just having, in conference play specifically, just erupting in clutch situations. So they're getting production out of so many different people and I you know Matt Kroon's a guy I didn't even mention who started the season as, as their third baseman now he's playing shortstop for them so he, he, they've got so many pieces that I think that they found the formula a bit obviously you know it's, it's hard in baseball you can lose at any time you never know how a game's gonna go but there it's you know, I've covered this team. I covered this team when I was at the Ocali for four seasons. So now this is my fifth year covering this team. Mm-hmm. I don't remember them always being this set, um, especially in the lineup. The lineup always felt really fluid. But but Josh Holliday has been able to put out the same guys there consistently. And I, it seems that you know he said these guys have earned their opportunities, and this is what I'm going to stick with. The pitching rotation it always seemed to take some time for that to get set. Um, Carson Teal started the year in the bullpen, and now he's going to be a starting pitcher probably for the rest of the way. Has two complete games in his last three starts. So uh, you know, it's a team that I think that right now has all the right things working for him as it enters a really big series against OU. Um, gut feeling on kind of where uh, where this uh, this goes this not only this weekend but uh, but moving forward for for Oklahoma State. Baseball. Well, I mean they're ranked 17th in the collegiate baseball poll now, which if you're just judging it, you host a regional if you're in the top 16. Right. So they're right on the edge of that. So I think if you if they're able to hold it on hold on and cling to a Big 12 title, I very well could see them, especially if they won a game or two in the tournament in in Oklahoma City. Um, I think they they have a legitimate shot at hosting a regional, which was not something that was very expected of them coming in this year. But uh, if you keep having success on weekends, obviously you'd like to win those midweek games too, especially because um, as a boost that RPI, they'll help you out in terms of hosting a regional. But I think that's in the possibility for OSU. I think you know, and when you host a regional, you know who knows it's going to happen. OSU is hosted regionals and lost. OSU has been on the road and made it to the College World Series. You know, when they made that College World Series run it a couple years ago, they didn't play a single postseason game at LAP. Mm-hmm. So the opportunity is definitely there for OSU to host a regional and and who knows what can happen from there. But this is a team that has really positioned itself, you know, and Josh Holiday has said, when we started the year after that that mid March, wherever we were, you know, they didn't they recognized that they weren't good enough. And so Holiday challenged them and said, we can be better than this. We know we're better than this. And they've really focused every day on getting better and making those improvements, and it's paid off. Uh, you mentioned Alley P, so it, w- it would be uh, you know we we haven't been in here yeah. since uh, since the new announcement of uh, of the stadium. 
um, ha- has come out. What uh, just your top line thoughts on uh, on this new uh, this new facility that yeah. they're putting together? No, I'm just excited as just a person who enjoys baseball and and someone who's who's hoping to be there plenty. You know, it it'll, it's it has a lot of different interesting elements, and it's seen. You know, Josh Holiday said during the announcement, we went to all these different ballparks and we took. Wow, that would be cool from all these different things, all these different elements, and put them together into one ballpark. Mm-hmm. So they've got that glass batter's eye out in center field, which yeah. would be fascinating. You know, got a 360 degree concourse, so people can take a, a whole lap around the stadium. You can stand behind that batter's eye and look out and watch the game. So there's a lot of interesting elements. I'm excited to see what the different facilities are set up like for the players because I know that was really big. Is they didn't they weren't necessarily happy with the facilities they have at LAP just by comparison, and that'll help them recruiting wise. And you know, facilities don't make a team better, but they do help you recruit better, and that that makes the team better. So it, it, I'm really excited to see how it pieces together. Josh Holiday is really excited, understandably. You know, this has been a project that's that's been in the talks basically since he's been the coach here um, for the past six seasons. So it, it's a situation where now OSU has the opportunity to to put itself in that conversation among best facilities in the country. And when you look at what they have, it's right up there. I'm excited to see it come together and be an actual thing. All right, real quickly, I'll touch on a little bit of softball. Yeah. It's uh, it's getting uh, getting close to the end of the season. It's uh, uh, an odd time for it, but uh, the Cowgirls actually go out to uh, Los Angeles this week. Uh, they play UCLA twice and South Dakota twice, uh, right here in the middle of of Big Twelve play. But uh, you know, when you only got seven teams in your uh, in your in your league, that's kind of how you have to do things sometimes. So, um, but uh, but the Cowgirls are, are are playing really strong right now, uh, particularly in, in Big Twelve play. Uh, you know, swept swept Baylor in Kansas. They had won seven straight at one point. Um, now uh, now heading into uh, to this uh, you know non conference weekend, and then uh, and then Bedlam is uh, is coming up the first weekend of May or the first week of May, uh, the second, third, and fourth, I believe, is the dates the dates think, for that. Do you think you can they can end that Bedlam streak? It'll be interesting. I don't uh, I don't know. This is uh, this is a really solid team. Their their pitching is is deep but average, um, whereas whereas Oklahoma is throwing Unreal. out a lot yeah. of aces. Uh, no matter who steps in the circle, it's uh, it's it's pretty scary. Um, so it's going to be tough. Um, uh, you know, Vanessa Shippey is playing incredibly well. She has really proven herself as as one of the uh, one of the best players in the country. Um, really fun to watch. Gets on base at a uh, at a ridiculous rate. Um, you know, takes advantage of uh, of all of her opportunities um, and plays third base pretty well too. The uh, uh, you know that uh, you know she's played every position but pitching, but pitch in a, in an actual game during her career. And uh, Kenny Gaius, he joked that you know if they ever get uh, they get a big enough lead at some point, he's going to let her throw an inning just to uh, just to say she's played Man, uh, yeah. played all nine. That's so, great. Um, but uh, um, you know. I don't know. I don't know if they can uh, if they can beat this uh, this Sooner team. They look uh, they look pretty stout. Um, they'll have a chance if they can if they can get a good pitching performance out of uh, out of whoever they decide to throw uh, against the Sooners to keep themselves in in uh, in a game. You know, one big swing can uh, can can turn a softball game in uh, in that situation. So that's uh, that's what it'll come down to. I think the offense can produce enough. Um, to uh, to get them there, it's just a matter of whether the pitching can uh, can can keep them in a game. So um, let's uh, let's close this thing with some NFL draft talk. Yeah. And uh, I set up some uh, some over unders and uh, and some other fun things for us to uh, to do here, rather than just our, our standard. Uh, oh, who's going to take Mason Rudolph? Uh, so um, so here's my uh, here's my uh, first one: Mason Rudolph over under. 
pick number 30. And I picked I picked pick number 30 specifically because the Patriots have 31 and I think that that's a good possible landing spot, but they also have they also have a pick earlier in uh, in in that round. Um, the Steelers are earlier in that round. So Nathan, I, uh, I I offer it up to you, over or under pick thirty for Mason Rudolph. I'm gonna go uh, over. Um, I just feel like all, there's gonna be that quarterback splurge early, mm-hmm. and then I think it'll relax a little bit, and yeah. then we'll see teams kind of kind of hold out. The teams that want a quarterback are gonna be able to get a quarterback, and probably think Lamar Jackson, Mason Rudolph, some of those other smaller school guys. Mm-hmm. Those are probably they're probably gonna be able to hold off until the second round. So I could see him going in the first round at 31, mm-hmm. but I think the Patriots have another pick early in the second round, like yep. 11th pick in the second round. Right. So I, it's a situation where he, he, the Patriots seem to be the big name that be, right. is being thrown around for him. Um, but I think he ends up going somewhere in that that third, like first at back end of the second round, early half of the of the second round, or back. You know what I mean? Yeah, you get yeah. what I'm saying. You're picking up and putting down, right? Um, I'm I'm going under. I think he goes before number thirty. Um, you know, some of the stuff that I've been reading lately, I feel like he might have uh, might have surpassed Lamar Jackson on on a lot of teams' uh, big boards. Um, I think that he uh, that he creeps in somewhere. Somebody, uh, maybe it's Pittsburgh. They've been uh, they've been mentioned a lot. Buffalo is a team that's uh, that's that's been interested in him. They obviously traded up, but not high enough to get one of the uh, one of the really big name guys probably. Unless they make another move, uh, I think they're picking at twelve and twenty two. So. Um, so I, I, you know, they could be there at the, at that twenty two pick, looking for uh, for a quarterback if they don't make another move uh, to get higher in the into the first round. Um, but I, uh, I, I just I've got a feeling like like Rudolph has uh, has improved his stock with his. Um, with his meetings with teams, because I think that that's the thing that he can really sell mm-hmm. is his intelligence and understanding of the game. I think uh, I think he goes before pick number thirty. All right, moving uh, on to James Washington, who uh, is not popping up in as many mock draft first rounds as I expected yeah. after uh, the way things had gone. So I uh, I moved our number to forty five. Pick number forty five. Over or under? Pick forty five for James Washington, Nathan. I'm going to say under for this. I kind of see him in that same range as Rudolph, the back end of the first round, uh, early half of the second round. I think you know he's a talented player. He seems to be though a top three receiver in this draft. Yeah, it's just a matter of, of what team needs a receiver, what team feels they can go get him. The size maybe is a detractor, but I think the intangibles are obviously there. The speed, yeah. um, personality-wise, he's great. Um, Small-town guy who just, I think, will fit a lot of teams, and any team could use a guy like him. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that some team will say, this is a really talented guy, and maybe we can find a place for him. He'll fit somewhere in our offense, and we can definitely use him. So I think somewhere under pick 45, James Washington's going to go. All right, just to uh, just to make it interesting, if I had said pick 30, what direction would you have gone? I would have picked over. I think he's somewhat like similar ranges, really right. thirty to forty-five. I yeah. think he's somewhere in there. Yep, yeah, I'm. Uh, I'm with you on that. I don't know that he's going to sneak into the first round at this point, um, though it's a possibility. Uh, but I, I feel like uh, the first ten picks of the second round, I think, is is really the sweet spot for uh, for James Washington, and somebody I think is going to get a steal at that point because I feel like this guy is a uh, is is first round talent for sure. So, uh, moving on, Marcel Aitman, um, over under pick sixteen of the fourth round, which is essentially the exact middle of the draft, basically. 
I could. I, I'm going to say under. I think he goes somewhere in that fourth round. I, I think it could be the early half. Some team mm-hmm. maybe gets a quarterback in that first first few picks of of the draft, and then holds off in the fourth round. And thinks we get him a guy like Aitman. We're doing all right. Yeah. Um. So I think Aitman's a guy that a lot of teams again are really going to value in the same way as Washington. Someone who can be at that red zone threat, that red zone target. So I think I think he'll have a lot of value. I think he's done a lot of work to boost his draft stock as well. Mm-hmm. So I would not be surprised to see him go in in the first half of the draft somewhere. I don't know why, but I have a, a weird feeling that he's going to fall. I this isn't now. If I was if I was actually drafting a team, I would have him higher than than you know middle of the fourth round on my on my board. Uh, but I just I just have a weird feeling that he's going to end up falling to late fourth or fifth round. So I'm uh, I'm going over on Marcel Aitman uh, with that. And like I said, it's not really necessarily based on my feeling of his talent or what he's going to be at the next level. I just I just have a weird feeling that he's going to that he's going to sit around for a while. And uh, and again, just like I said with Washington, whoever gets him I think gets a gets a steal because they got a guy who is uh, who is really just now coming into his own as a receiver and uh, and he's taking his game to a next level. Um, you know, physical, good hands, um, you know, can can uh, can do a lot of different things for uh, for an offense and uh, and take on some DBs in a in a physical way. All right, next question. Who will be the fourth OSU player drafted? Assuming that the, that these three guys are, are the first three, who is number four? Well, maybe you don't assume that these guys are the first three. Maybe you want to go with one of these, with with Aitman or somebody. But my question to you, Nathan, who is the fourth OSU player drafted? Um, I think it'll be Trey Flowers. I think I think those three guys go somewhere in the first four rounds, mm-hmm. and then anyone else who goes from OSU will be in the back, you know, three rounds, back two rounds. You know, I think Trey, Trey Flowers is a guy who brings that length, that athleticism that teams are really going to want um, in their defensive backfield. I think he's a guy who uh, who you, he adds on some size, some strength. He'll be a really good threat out there um, for teams on a defensive side. So I think uh, Trey Flowers is a guy to watch. Chris Lacey is another, the only other name I really considered, honestly. But I just see Trey Flowers, that defensive value, probably being something that teams are going to want to pluck. I'm right. I'm right there with you. I, I I thought we might get a different answer here, but uh, um, no, I'm right right there with you on Trey Flowers. I uh, I think that you know, like I said, he probably falls to the fifth or sixth round, but I think that there are teams that really like uh, his length and athleticism, and uh, and see the value of uh, of of him as a as a safety with all the experience that he's got. Um, you know, I know uh, I know he he's worked out for uh, for the Seahawks and uh, and the Cowboys. Um, you know, Pittsburgh uh, took him to dinner when they were in town for Pro Day, along with James Washington the night before Pro Day. So um, definitely some teams out there that are uh, that are interested in him. Uh, we'll see. Uh, we'll see what direction it goes. But uh, but I'm with you on uh, number four being uh, being Trey Flowers. All right, last draft question, and then we might hit on uh, a few other uh, names that we haven't talked about uh, along with this. But uh, over or under five players drafted? Rule is you cannot pick five. Okay, well, over or under? My thought is five, but because you picked that number, I had to consider a couple things. I was Mm -hmm. like, what is is more likely? Like, is there a sixth player who, the the person who came to my mind was Zach Crabtree would Mm -hmm. be that sixth player. What's more likely for Chris Lacey to not get drafted or for Zach Crabtree to get drafted? Mm -hmm. And I'm really leaning toward the Chris Lacey going undrafted. I think he's a talented player. Um, I think he did enough to boost his draft stock, so I'm going to get. I'm going to say under, mm-hmm. but I think he's a guy who who probably ends up getting taken. But just for the sake of this game that you're putting putting me in, right? Um, I'll say under, but I think he's a guy who even if he doesn't get drafted, he'll be one of those first signed guys, an undrafted free agent, just you know a really talented player who in OSU's offense 
with that that receiving depth just didn't really mm-hmm. I don't want to say he didn't fit because I was in the case he provided a lot right. of value as a downfield blocker but he's a guy whose numbers weren't necessarily there but I think teams mm-hmm. recognize the intelligence the strength the downfield blocking ability he's a player who will help a lot of teams and even Zach Crabtree who I just mentioned you know he's a really nice offensive line piece Brad Lumbley is a guy who's really valuable as well, but the size just wasn't there. Mm-hmm. So I think there's a couple pieces on, uh, on that o- last season's OSU squad that could end up sneaking in somewhere, mm-hmm. but I think it's more likely that we just see under five. Yeah. Um, I think there's a good possibility that, that it ends at four. I'm going to go over, though. I think that I think that Lacey sneaks in late uh, because of his size and and his forty time that he ran. He showed showed good hands for the most part at uh, at the combine and pro day. Um, I think that he sneaks in. I haven't decided yet who I think number six is going to be. I, I I've seen a mock draft that included DeQuentin Osborne. Okay, I think that he could uh, could have a chance. You know, it only takes one team to uh, to to have some faith in you to to. to you know, throw your name out there in in that seventh round. I definitely think that Crabtree is probably more likely uh, in uh, to fall in that uh, in that range. But I, I got a I got a feeling that that Quentin Osborne might have uh, you know shown himself enough to uh, to somebody that uh, that that he gets picked. So I'm going over. You mentioned mock drafts. I just want to talk about this real quick. It was, mm-hmm. I read this article on the Ringer recently about seven round mock drafts, mm-hmm. and they took six of them from last season. And in total, four picks were exactly right. Like, wow. same team, same player. So it's so hard to predict. Right. That, like, even just the first round is difficult. But if you yes. expand it to all seven, it's unreal. Because one player oh, gets yeah. taken here, and the whole thing gets messed up. It's Exactly. So uh, if you, that's what you want to pick, if then then pick it. But I'm just saying, <laughs> seven-round mock drafts are not something you should trust. I don't. Oh, no. I'm, to- I'm totally with you. Uh, I just like seeing uh, seeing the guy's name, because I was a big fan of, of DeQuentin Osborne. And, um, you know, think that he's, uh, even though he's, you know, Barely taller than me. <laughs> if 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 at that it might have just been his hair was taller than me. But uh, I think that he's a really talented player. So, um, all right. Anything else uh, draft wise that uh, that we need to hit on? Um, I think that there'll be a couple other guys who get some free agent opportunities. You know, if Crabtree doesn't get drafted, he'll get one. I think uh, Osborne, if he doesn't get drafted, will get one. Lacey, if he doesn't get drafted, will get one. Um, beyond that, you know, there might be another couple of players that uh, that, that sneak in there. Um, as uh, undrafted free agents, but uh, but it's uh, it's not a real deep uh, senior class that uh, that came out. Yeah, you know, it's definitely top heavy with those big three mm-hmm. guys, and then you could argue for for a second tier. But I mean, you look at just a couple years ago, OSU almost you know Josh Furman I think was their only pick, and it was in the sixth round. So mm-hmm. so OSU obviously this class is a class that'll be remembered in a lot of ways at OSU just for yeah. what it accomplished the three straight um, ten win season. So obviously uh, it's good to see that be rewarded. I guess in the yeah. NFL we don't know exactly how that's going to break down, but even if um, both Rudolph and Washington end up as second round picks, like I think that speaks to the direction the program is going and the yeah. value it provides and. And Gundy and, and Co. will definitely use that as a recruiting aspect to say, like, look at these two guys we developed and brought in. You know, neither of them are really, you know, heavily valued recruits. I think Mason was a four-star recruit, but you know, James was definitely unheralded. And so for mm-hmm. those two guys to go out there and, and be, you know, top two-round picks in the NFL, that says a lot about OSU's development uh, abilities. And so I think it'll, it, no matter what, this class will be remembered in a lot of ways, both in terms of of what it was able to do at OSU, and I think, and what we'll see it do in the NFL. Absolutely. And uh, the draft first round is Thursday night. Rounds two and three are Friday night. And then everything else will be going on Saturday, uh, most of it during the spring game. So uh, hopefully Gundy sticks to his plan of 20 to 25 minutes of good football, and we can uh, keep an eye on what's going on with the draft uh, other than that. So um, busy weekend for uh, for Oklahoma State athletics all across the board. It's, uh, it's, it's pretty wild. They've got a lot of... Uh, 
a lot of good things going on right now. All right, Nathan, uh, for Nathan Ruiz, I'm Scott Wright. That will uh, that will wrap up this edition of the Cowboy Chronicles.